Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, the CFL looking to bring in some new rule changes, protecting the quarterback, replay getting involved. What does Doug Brown think of all that? Plus, man who runs an academy that's accused of tampering and team stacking. A minor soccer controversy. That story continues. And round two of the MJHL is underway. We'll preview it and look back at round one. Talk about Brady Keeper with Kevin Surrett of the MJHL. That's on the podcast. Last night on the sports show, we heard from Winnipeg Youth Soccer Association past president Adam Dooley, who responded to a question from sports director Kelly Moore here at CGB about the reason for rejecting an application from a number of teams from the Hanover Soccer Club to play in Weiss League games with this answer. A number of players who uh, were playing in our league for different teams and were also members of a private soccer training academy appeared to have broken our tampering rules, our league tampering rules that the, the academy did by recruiting those players who were registered with our teams and then they tried to circumvent those rules by going to a club outside of the city and with a super team come back and compete against our clubs. So our board, uh, we feel, took a reasonable and balanced approach. We, Hanover Soccer Club has been a member of our league for a long time as an associate member and we've allowed that to continue. But at the same time, we, we have to take a dim view of what we feel um, is uh, likely a tampering uh, situation. Uh, it's hard to imagine how several dozen individuals uh, can, can come to the conclusion that they should all leap to a team outside of the city without the active participation of the coaches and the club involved. And, you know, I think everyone involved in this, uh, especially the coaches, are well aware of the rules. They're well aware of the rules that we have operated at the league for decades. Uh, we have boundaries. And what we're, what we're being asked to accept here is a situation where this one group of players and this one team wants to be able to recruit actively from anywhere while all of our, the rest of our teams have to stay within their boundaries and follow the rules. And so uh, we've launched a disciplinary action and have leveled charges of, of tampering against the individuals involved. And uh, we'll be proceeding uh, with that process um, uh, according to our constitution and rules. So tonight we have the technical instructor in the 1v1 Football Academy weighing in with his perspective. And Nano Romero says he's not sure where these charges are coming from. Uh, I can imagine they're, they're trying to halt the situation here from... 1v1 and, and Hanover getting together and providing the kids the opportunity to play. Uh, and not one instance has anybody from our coaching staff or myself uh, convinced anybody or talked to anybody going into a transfer, a regional transfer, to go play for 1v1 itself. It's, it's, it's a joint thing to help kids play. At the end of the day, I am sure everybody understands that the result of, of football is it's a beautiful game, but once the kids are enjoying it. How, so that's, that's all I can say. How many Hanover teams would 1v1 players be on that were applying uh, for uh, a league application into the Winnipeg Youth Soccer Association? So, I'm, again, I don't know the exact numbers of the teams, but I would probably say there would be at least six to eight teams that would be playing, participating if – we were allowed to participate in that wider league because we don't have teams individual one v one. We are not. We don't have the numbers to form teams ourselves. 
but with the handover players combined, sometimes maybe a handover team will have more handover players and 1v1 will have less. It just it works out for us. That's why it was such a good match. And and have these teams, all of them, or some of them, or one of them, applied to play in WISA at the highest level? Yes. We applied, I believe, was one only premier team, and that's the U13. But again, we have four four players that are thir- that would be 12 turning 13 in that league. Two of them would be P1s, two of them are P2s. And the level would be 12-year-olds and 11-year-olds being brought up. So just because Mr. Dooley said yesterday we were stacking teams, you can imagine you can't stack a team with two P2 players and two P1 players and five or six U11s. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, what about, uh, and we talked to Winnipeg South End United, and they said that a couple of teams had to be disbanded because you know players were going to your program and were going to play for Hanover. Uh, now, you obviously don't control the flow of players, but uh, as you mentioned, it's all about the kids. So when these things happen, what's the solution then, Nano, in your opinion? The solution is to make your program better so the kids don't leave. So if your program was good and valued, people will not leave your program. That's all I could say for that, because if people don't go to my program, I have to change it. I have to make it work. So in, in, in self ends uh, issue here with the kids, I feel sorry for the kids. We're all about playing for the kids. That's what we're doing now. We're wanting them to get a space for them to play. But again, I can't, I can't go complain to somebody else because they're taking away their customers or their revenue. Because I, I would like to ask them, when these kids didn't register, did they care about the player or did they care about, you know, the 17 plus or $28,000 they're missing now. Like, I don't know. I wish it was caring about the player because maybe they would have came to talk to one of the organizations and says, we're missing this and let's talk and let's get people involved. But they, they're not doing that. So what about the players then, Nano, on the six to eight teams that uh, uh, had applied uh, to play out of Hanover that are part of the 1v1 group? What will they do now this summer? Will you still play in tournaments or... Or will they just focus on training? That's a question I have to ask. Why is an MSA? I, I want to develop them. We want to train. We want to play. But obviously, it's in their hands. Okay, but I mean, what, as, it, as, it, as it stands right now, though, what would what would those kids be looking at? We're going to do exhibition games, practice, and go into tournaments as much as we have done for the last uh, three years. Like we've done this with them. We're going to keep getting better and better with the, the players. That's why they love the program. And we're going to go, you know, help them. We, we, got, we can't leave the program without doing anything. That's not what we're about. We're going to move, help them get uh, uh, exhibition games. And at the same time, I would tend the hand and say, why is an MSA? Get your stuff together. Let's all sit together and let's get this solved. Because if it's about the player, let's make it all about the player. Let's not put anything else into it because there is absolutely nothing. From all indications, in 12 months from now, there may be the removal of boundaries that that exist for this season in the Winnipeg Youth Soccer Association and have existed uh, for quite some time. But if those boundaries are removed, uh, then does all of this become a moot point and will there be total freedom of movement by players? Well, then again, that should be it. So we're making kids suffer for a year. If that's the end result, makes no sense because it's about the player. Secondly, 
CSA has mandated this, and everybody, every other province has done this except Manitoba. And they've done their, uh, everything to slow it down, but the change is coming. So instead of us making it hard, opening the door, open your hearts to help these kids play and be part of a team and then uh, not listen to the kind of talk that's coming out of Mr. Dooley's mouth yesterday about having, you know, we're not sure if we're going to open boundaries. Well, maybe he should go to the meeting when Jason DeVos came in from CSA and instead of having uh, opening his mind to listening to what he said, boundaries have to come down. It's done everywhere else. We can't continue this. Too much suffering has happened on kids from 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 years ago. So I would just say, ten the hand. Let's go, guys. Let's get around the table. Let's solve this problem. We won't have to talk about it again. And the kids will be playing the beautiful game, and and we all be happy. Tonight, round two of the MJHL playoffs begins in Swan River. The Stampeders host Steinbach tomorrow. The other semifinal series getting underway in Portage between the Terriers and Verdon. So to preview the second round, let's check in with Director of Operations for the MJHL, Kevin Surrett. First of all, Kevin, what did you think of that first round? I thought it was pretty exciting. Uh, you know, two of the series went, went six games, and I was actually at game six between Winnipeg Blues and Steinbach Pistons and went to double overtime and you know really that game could have went either way which would have forced a potential game seven so um, the Selkirk series it went six games and they had two overtimes as well in, in that series and um, I think Portage and and Swan they were obviously expected to win those first round series being one and two but you know they're by no means easy for them but I think they came out relatively unscathed injury wise so overall it was just the first round is always an exciting time you have eight teams going you have four different series going um lots of fans lots of engagement involved you know social media website um the attendance the attendance were all up for for every team during those games so it's first rounds are always exciting and now you know it's now it's another step closer and you you have four teams left and you're in the semifinals. so now it's it's going to be ramped up another notch, and you know we have some pretty good series ahead of us. It looks like. Yeah, to see the one and two seeds advance in sweeps wasn't a huge surprise. Steinbeck was up three nothing, and I remember asking you a couple weeks ago when pretty, the three of the series was three games to none. I said, "Have you ever seen a comeback?" And we almost saw it from Winnipeg. You know, a goal away from forcing a game seven—that's kind of the drama you want to see in a playoff series. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I didn't think that Winnipeg would go away that quietly and you know there there was a couple games in those first three that I know that they would like back and they almost pushed it to game seven so you know hats off to them that they you know it's always tough when you're down three to to get motivated to get that last one it's, it's easy to just pack it in so you know that organization had had no quit in it and like you said they almost forced a game seven which which could have went either way so I think Steinbach is is obviously pretty happy to get out of that series the way they did and and they're a team that they're they're a dangerous team. They have a bunch of guys and a coaching staff that that's been through it before. They they won the league last year as a group and they won the Anavit Cup. So, you know, the further they go, I think the more dangerous they are just with that that experience that a lot of those guys have in, in those big games. And tonight it begins in the semifinals in Swan River. They take on the Swan Valley Stampeders in a series that 
I would, you know, if I were to bet on it, I'd say it has to go at least six, wouldn't you think? Yeah, it very well could be. It's you, you never know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one to call. Like I say, I think Swan, you know, they got a they got a pretty strong team up there this year. They have some high end offense. They have some strong D. They have a Division One committed goalie. Um, they have some big boys that can play playoff style hockey. But you know, in saying that, like I said, Steinbeck's been there before. They have guys that that have been through this war and, and come out on the other side on on the right end. And they they also have a, a D one committed goalie, and and they have some very good veteran forwards and, and some good young players like Kyle Bettens, who's who's stepping up big time as a seventeen year old. And you know, it's these first two games in Swan are are going to be very important, obviously for both teams. And then the other side, you've got Portage against Verdon. Verdon getting past Selkirk in six games. Portage sweeping the Wolverines. Is there anything stopping Portage from romping through this series too? Well, I think I think they're they're probably the favorites. Just looking at the records and the season, but you know, Verdon played them pretty tough this season. I think they're two and two in their last four games, and you know, there's always something to say for a team that that gets out of the first round and. They have confidence going, and, and they have some very good veteran players that that went to the finals last year. You know, they don't want to end their se- their season early, and you know, guys like Ben Dalkey and, and like Colton Kanaski's having a very good playoffs, and you know, they're they're a good deep team. So I think they're gonna they're gonna be give it Portage everything they can handle. But you know, in saying that, Portage is a very good hockey team. They're you know they're the youngest team in our league, which they have some a lot of depth through their lineup. And then they have some, some older guys that have been there before that have won championships. And obviously they have a, you know, a coaching staff that's been there many times and, and this isn't their first rodeo. So they're going to have their, their team ready to go. So I think no matter who comes out of this series, you're looking at what's going to be a fantastic final in a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, for sure. It should be, I mean, this, the league the last two, three years has just become more more and more competitive in the parity and the teams that are coming out of it, you know, last year obviously Steinbach came out and they, they they won the end of it, which is a which is a huge test as well. And they went to the RBC. So any team that we that comes out of our league, you know, we expect that they're gonna have a good chance at winning that series against the SJHL champion and then represent, you know, the MJHL at nationals. So you know, out of these four teams, if whatever two do make it to the final, it, it's going to be a, a great playoff final series, and and we'll see where it goes from there. And while I have you here, Kevin, how proud is the league uh, seeing Brady Keeper sign an NHL contract this week? Yeah, it was amazing. You know, I know their assistant coach helping me show pretty well, so I had a, a pretty good idea it was coming. Uh, I didn't know which team, but just an amazing story. He... Uh, Everyone, I think, read the read the articles on him, and you know how he developed in OCN. Uh, he just got better and better, and his last year was my first year in the MJHL. And watching him, you know, he's a kid that I could just you could just see he just was such a raw talent, um, you know. And, and for him making the jump to NCAA Division One, um, you know, with his background and, and where he came from, it's a, it's a big step, as, as Alfie alluded to on the show a couple of days ago. 
Um, and for him to have the mental capacity to, to keep it all together and to go to school and to work hard and to train and to get better and better in that environment is just a testament to his character. And um, obviously for the league, it's, it's very exciting. It's the second year in a row now that we've had a player sign an NHL contract only two years removed from the MJHL, which, you know, is, it's nice because it shows that players are developing out of our league and they're developing to the highest level. So, you know, from that set, from that end of things, it's really good. But more importantly for Brady, it's just, you know, the future for him is very bright and we're very excited to see how it all plays out. And we can't wait till he, he got in his first warm up the other night and he got the treatment of getting the skate two or three laps by himself, which is always a, uh, a fun thing to watch for, for new guys into the league. And, you know, it'll be exciting when he gets his first game. Uh, he gets his first minutes and, you know, just to see that, that whole process. So we're really happy for him. We're obviously excited as a league, as, you know, the Ocean Blizzard, very excited. And, and just everyone that's that's been involved with Brady, it's, it's a great moment. Well, Kevin, I appreciate your time again tonight as always. And enjoy this round of the playoffs. Yeah, no, no problem. Thanks. We'll do. And, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk soon in the next few weeks. All right. We'll bring in Doug Brown now, color commentator on 680 CGB, our Blue Bombers broadcast. Uh, Doug, how are you enjoying your, I guess, football off season, but lots going on in life too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a busy time. That's for sure. But things are good. Nice that spring has finally showed up and the great big melt is upon us. Yes. How's the daughter? Uh, she's good. You can probably hear her in the background. She's uh, very, very vocal, um, <laughs> testing out her voice uh, every given opera. Oh, let me rephrase that. Every waking opportunity. Okay. Uh, yeah, she's she's uh, definitely likes to be heard and seen. Is that like her dad? <laughs> I'm older now, man. I have I have less uh, 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 less uh, taste for those okay. similar. Uh, Okay. kinds of constructs. Okay. So the rules changes proposed by the uh, CFL today, a number of them, but the major ones have to do with the quarterback. Uh, the CFL wants the command center to upgrade a 15 yard roughing the passer penalty to 25 yards. If there's a direct blow to the quarterback's head or neck with a helmet, when that player has a clear view to the quarterback, do you think that this is a rule that will be well received around the league? Well, you know, when I first read it, the first thing I thought of, I was like, wow, it's only a matter of time before the command center goes back to 2011 and finds me for something I did retroactively, right? It's just, it's just, uh, it's just a sliding slope, an increasing scale, really, of, of punitive measures for, for people. And it's funny because it's, it's supposed to be, it's all put out there in terms of player safety, so on and so forth. But it's really about quarterback safety, right? And uh, they're protecting, uh, you know, I, I guess the appeal to a large part of, of the Canadian Football League by making sure that, you know, the biggest investment by many football teams, their quarterback uh, is is pretty much bubble wrapped out in the football field. So, I mean, a 25-yard, I mean, that better be, like, that is, uh, that is a significant uh, penalty to incur uh, defensively. And I understand there are some criteria that have to be met, you know, like the quarterback's not allowed to duck as he's bracing for contact and so on and so forth. But it just keeps uh, – let me ask you this. My only concern with it really is when when does it stop? Is it ever enough, right? Quarterbacks keep getting paid more. They keep becoming more and more important and valuable parts of a football team. So I always just wonder, I'm like, where does this eventually end or does it? 
And they also, a lot of these rule changes involve the command center to try to get things right because of things that have happened where a call was missed. So, for instance, they want the command center to help refs uh, with called and non-called, roughing the passer penalties, including if the ref misses something because their view was blocked. Uh, They want uh, the play to be whistled dead anytime a quarterback slides either head first or feet first. Is the use of replay extending the use of replay something that as long as they're getting it right is something that will be okay? Yeah, you know, it's just it's so artificial, right? And I think it takes away from the live game day experience because they don't always you don't always have the benefit of seeing these these TV camera angles and these replays and having it slowed down like like the home viewer does watching it on television. You don't really understand what's going, and all of a sudden these calls are coming out of thin air out of nowhere and you didn't see it and you don't understand what's going on. And I just feel like it makes the game a lot more artificial. I think part of the appeal of professional sports and, and other uh, athletics as well is the fact that it's a, it's a fallible, it's a fallible game. There are mistakes that are made. There are errors that are made. Uh, these things cost people. It's part of the, the drama and, and dramatic uh, element of sport where you have a review and, and people did talk about it after, Oh, you see that missed call and, and it goes back and forth. It's just part of, uh, you know, I've always felt it was just part of the nature of, of the sport of live sports. And the fact that, you know, you have the human element out there making the calls and trying to do the best they can. And obviously there are, there are errors that are made and it's just, you know, you have to wonder to what degree when a command center can be involved on every single play, where does that stop as well? You know, people will tell you there's holding on every single play in football, right? There's helmet to helmet contact on every single play in football. And things are just starting to get opened up where I think it becomes less appealing to the people that are going to the game because they might not understand, see, or recognize where these calls are coming from, from this uh, the command center that, that is probably thousands of miles away. And I know for one, you know, up in the broadcast booth, we have the TSN feed. We can see the TV replays, but oftentimes we'll look out at the big screen and the fans don't get to see what we get to see. And they're booing because they don't see, we can see that the right call was made, but they don't get maybe to see that. And that's kind of dependent on the people that run the, the game day TV stream there at the stadium. But you're right. That's a, a thing. And we see that at hockey games too, where, Sometimes they don't get to see that and they're kind of left puzzled and then the game goes on. And, you know, it's such a fast, high impacting game that you watch it live and unless you slow it down frame by frame, you don't really see anything happening that is, uh, you know, illegal or, or should be penalized. So it really, I think, just takes away. I think they really need to be mindful and careful of that, you know, increasing the artificialness of, of, uh, really monitoring the game and, and penalizing players, uh, especially when, when the people, you know, if you count on gate attendance, you better be very careful with how you're affecting that by interrupting and interfering with, you know, what is transpiring on the field that people that are going to these games might not understand. Now the or the CFL has been tinkering a lot with the challenge system since it came into place. They had two and then they got rid of one of those challenges and now they're saying, well, coaches should get a second challenge if the first one is right, giving them a potential maximum of two per game instead of one. And that's another 
point where people might say that's going to slow the game down. However, it'll change the way that coaches uses their challenge because sometimes they might have been hesitant because they only had one, and now they might be yeah. more apt to try something. Yeah, and you might and you might want to go for that. You know, oh yeah, I can get this if I challenge this, get another one. And it's just you know, it's interesting. You always wonder in sports and the landscape of, of pro sports. You're just like, does it ever stop? Does the tinkering, does the evolution, do the mistakes being made? You know, it's. Uh, I guess there's a lot of people just employed in in the uh, the avenues of changing things and trying to make them better and trying to make them more appealing and da da da. But you know, a lot of sports, you know, you got to just make sure you don't tarnish the essence, the fundamentals of what makes that sport popular. And uh, I feel like half the time, especially in the CFL, there are so many changes brought to. Uh, the forefront every year, you're not even sure. Sometimes you're like, is that elite? How many challenges do they have now? Can they challenge that call? Can they not challenge that call? Does he get another challenge now? Can the command center enter? It's just, I mean, it's a lot of work to stay up to date and, and understand what is legal, what isn't legal, what has changed from last year, what was thrown out, what was added. It's, uh, it's exhausting sometimes. I get the feeling you're not a huge fan of all this. <laughs> Well, as I told you earlier, I, you know, as you get older, you you get old school, you get conservative, you just want things to be the way they were, you know. But uh, but you have to be uh, able to adapt to change, though. You'll get yeah, left behind yeah, if you true. don't. This is true, but you also can't. You know, you don't want to affect the fundamentals of the game, the essence of the game, what has made it last and be. I mean, football is so big in North America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even in Canada where, you know, it's not the NFL here, but it does very well here. You look at the gray cups and the numbers there and, and uh, you know, the viewership on, on, on the network in terms of, of certain games and, and the appeal and the eyes on the game. It's just, uh, I always just think it's, you know, you, you're maybe allowed to do one thing a year. That would be my mandate or, or my, uh, maximum for for altering the professional game of football yeah you can bring about one change a year be it an addition of subtraction whatever just don't give me 11 every year so i have to go over and have to remember whether that's new this year or was that last year it's it's just it's taxing because they're always going it seems 100 miles an hour uh, full speed ahead in terms of altering the game cfl combines this weekend before i let you go doug was there a combine back when you played when you started, you came into the league? <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, I played in the late 90s and <laughs> to 2011. It wasn't that long ago, so yes. I mean, the combine was probably different as well. I mean, who knows? The command center is probably running the combine as well by now and, uh, you know, issuing fines, so on and so forth. But there certainly was a, a combine when I was playing. Did you enjoy yourself back then at the combine? Uh, you know, it's it's tough. Combines are tough because it's it's uh, wow. How do you describe? It? It's just pieces, right? It's certain elements of football, and they never actually really get to see you play football outside of your your college tape. Um, any strides you've made, or how you would play against a higher caliber opponent, so on and so forth. Really hard to convey that. I think uh, combines, I really feel, are very limited. I mean, there are tons of people that test so well but play so poorly, right? We, we call them, you know, look like Tarzan, play like Jane, or just testing gods, people that are so good at the triangle numbers in terms of their speed, in terms of their strength, their explosiveness. But you ask them to put all that together on a football field and they can't do it. Or they can't, you know, they don't have the, the durability or, or, you know, they, they can't just 
put it all together with the cognitive components of football. So I think uh, it, it's a little fragmented, uh, fragmented, that's for sure. But, you know, it has its uses. And uh, it, as football goes along, uh, scouts and, and, and uh, the people in charge of running uh, or franchises and the personnel and everything, they just want more and more information. I mean, even when I was playing, they were going back and talking to my high school coaches. But when I was going pro, so I, I can imagine right now, you know, they're they're sitting down with uh, some preschool and kindergarten teachers asking <laughs> whether they played nice in the sandbox or not. All right. Well, I'll let you go now, Doug. I appreciate your time. Oh, of course. Always, always a pleasure coming on, my friend. Have a good one. You too. That's Doug Brown, color commentator, CFL Hall of Famer. And yes, there was a combine back when he played as well. I just did. The, I just asked that because he's being all curmudgeonly about all the rule changes. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes, not available on Google Podcasts, not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes.